Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you today about offenses. And the title of my message today is Offenses Build Fences. Offenses Builds Fences. Listen to what Jesus himself said. And most of the scriptures that we're going to look at today come directly from the mouth of Jesus. But Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, he said to his disciples, and he says to us, that it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Now, notice what Jesus says here. Jesus himself says that it is impossible to get through life without being offended. I've been offended. You have been offended. I don't think there's one person in this room here today that could say that you have never been offended. And if so, then you're calling the word of God a lie. Because the word of God says it is impossible possible for us to get from our time of birth until our time of death or until we begin our journey with God until we end our journey with God it is impossible that we would get through life without experiencing some kind of offense now let me tell you what this word offense means it means more than just to be hurt by something that someone did or something that someone said about you. The word offense actually has two different meanings to it. One of the meanings of offense means a stumbling block. And many times in scripture, in other translations of scripture, the word offense is translated as a stumbling block or to stumble. And it's something that the enemy makes sure that he puts in our path at some point or at different points in our lives trying to get us to stumble. Now, now let, me, let me just say something to you right here about offense. Offense is a choice. Now, let, let, let me restate it. Let me, let me say it this way. All of us are going to be offended. No doubt about that. The Bible says that. So all of us are going to be offended, but it is a choice for us to live offended it is a choice for us to continue to live in offense and the enemy is going to make sure that he puts offense along the way of our path to try at some point in time to get us to trip over that offense to stumble and to fall But let me tell you something, when it comes to that stumbling block, you have a choice to make. You can either trip over it or you can step over it. And let's face it, there's some people who choose not to just trip over it. There's some people that choose to pick it up and to carry it with them for the rest of their lives. We can either use stumbling blocks in our life to be a foundation that we build on, or they can be blocks that we stumble over. 
But Jesus says that all of us, that it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. In other words, we as Christians, we as believers, should not be in the offending business. But how many of you know that sometimes, accidentally, unintentionally, we do offend others? Listen to something else that Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 10. He says that the closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, the, the, the closer we get to his return here to earth, he said that in those last days that many will be offended. I say amen, amen, and amen to that statement right there. Because it seems like the closer we get to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more people are being sensitive to offense. And notice what he said. He said, many will be offended and will betray one another. And look at this. And will even hate one another. That's where we get the second meaning of what the word offense means. It's not just a stumbling block, but it's a word that means to entrap. It is a Greek word that talks about that part of the trap on which you put the bait so that when the prey comes and takes the bait, immediately, and, and picture in your mind a little mouse trap here or a little rat trap here, and you've got that place on the trap where you put the bait, and when that little mouse or when that rat comes along and grabs the bait, immediately he's trapped. Immediately he is ensnared. And let me tell you something about why the enemy uses offense as a bait. He uses offense as a bait because he wants to take you into bondage. He uses offense as a bait because he is trying to entrap you. And notice, when a prey is caught by that trap, that prey is now the victim. And how many people live their lives with a victim mentality? Now listen to what the writer of Hebrews said. This is so important. He says, or, or look, look at what Proverbs tells us. Proverbs tells us that an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. And then he goes on and says that arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. What is he saying here? He's talking about how the enemy uses offense to take you into bondage, to entrap you. And what he's saying is, is that when a person gets offended, what do they do? They begin to build walls. And they're living in what is like a fortified city because they have built walls all around them to guard themselves, to protect themselves, and to say, I will never allow somebody to do that to me again. And because they are the ones on the inside of those walls, and because they are the ones who stand at the gate of those walls, they are the ones who determines who they let into their life and who they don't let into their life. And listen to me, if you're not careful, when you're offended, the only people that you will allow into your life are the people who agree with you about your offense. They're the only people. Let me tell you something about offended people. They hang out together. They spend a lot of time together. We could even say that the Bible refers to offense as a, a familiar spirit. 
That, that you see that same spirit in the crowd that they hang out with. But not only are they the ones who determines who they let in, and it's usually only those who will agree with them about what happened to them, but if anybody shows up trying to get into their life with evidence or with information contrary to what they're believing, they don't want you in, they don't want to hear it. It could even be true. The person living in that fortified city could be living a lie, believing a lie about someone or something that someone did to them. And you can show up at the door of their life with the truth and they do not want to hear it. All they want is information that is going to validate their state of offense. I'm telling you, there's some people in bondage today to offense. You've taken the bait, and you need to be set free. And I'm going to tell you how you can get free before we leave this place this morning. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says that you and I, we've got to lay aside every weight and the sin, which does what? So easily ensnares us. So easily entraps us. Those things that have you entrapped like a fence. Those sins that have you in bondage. The writer of Hebrews says that if you're going to run this race that you are in, a race to be conformed to the image of, of Christ, a race to get to heaven one day, that if you're going to be able to run this race, you are going and, and run it successfully and not quit and not give up, that if you're going to be able to do that, you've got to lay aside a fence. Those things that ensnare you and entrap you. And then he says, and then let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us, doing what? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because let me tell you something, when it comes to someone who had every reason and right to get offended, it was Jesus. But aren't you thankful that we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all ways tested just like you and I. In other words, Jesus had as much reason and right to get offended than anybody on the face of this earth, but he chose instead of stumbling over the block, he chose to step over it. And he lived his life without sin. So now, you and I can come boldly to the throne of God and we can receive mercy and we can find the grace that we need to help us when we need it the most. You see, because Jesus has been there and done that, we need to keep our eyes on him. He is the supreme example of how to choose not to be offended. And then notice the scripture Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I want you to look at it, the paraphrase version here of the message. And I love the way the message gives it to us here. He says, strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race for me. That, that, that's who I want to look to as my example. It's someone who began and finished. Because there's a lot of people who start strong, but they don't necessarily finish strong. 
But he began and he finished this race that we're in. So here's, what the, here's how the message paraphrase says it. Study how he did it. I'll tell you somebody else that you can study. In the Old Testament, you can study the life of a man by the name of Joseph. Because Joseph had every reason and right to get offended. I mean, think about it. His brothers threw him in a pit, hoping that some kind of wild beast would come and jump in that pit with him and kill him. So he knew that his brothers were trying to destroy him, were trying to kill him. Then his brothers sold him into slavery. And when he gets to Egypt... He he, he gains the favor of a man by the name of Potiphar, but then Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of trying to rape her. And being falsely accused, he's then thrown into prison. And he didn't deserve to be in prison. And then when he thought he was going to be remembered and brought out of prison, he was forgotten by the very one he thought was going to help him get out of prison. I mean, on and on we could go, but notice what Joseph says at the end of his life. He said, everything that you sent trying to harm me, God intended it for my good. In other words, I choose not to stumble over offense. I choose to step over my offense. And so he says about Jesus, he said, study how Jesus did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed And let me tell you, that's exactly what the enemy's trying to do through offense. He's trying to distract you from where you're headed. He's trying to get you to quit. He's trying to get you to give up. He said that exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything. And I'm telling you that with the grace of God, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I too, we can put up with anything. And let me say it like this. We can put up with anybody. Somebody ought to give God a good praise right there. Amen. Have have we forgotten that none of us in this room here this morning are perfect? So yeah, there's going to be some times when offense is going to come. That's why the Apostle Paul says we've got to bear with one another because we're all still in process and we're all still growing. We're not completely like Jesus yet. Oh, this is good teaching this morning. Somebody, Somebody say amen said that he could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. And another scripture tells us what he's doing there. He's making intercession for you and I. That's that's the role of an attorney. That when Jesus sees us having a hard day or when he sees us having a hard time or when he sees offense coming our way, he goes to God and he says, God, He goes to his father and he says, Father, I've been there. I've experienced that myself. I know how hard it is. And God, I know they're not going to be able to do this without our help. So God, let's give them our help to get through this. Look look at this passage here in Hebrews chapter 2. It says that it was necessary for Jesus to be made in every respect like us. That is to become a human being, to come here to this earth, to put on flesh and skin like you and me like his brothers and his sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. You see, the only way that Jesus could really be our merciful and faithful high priest is to experience the things that we experience as human beings. 
To suffer the things that we suffer as human beings. To be tested the way that we are tested. To be tempted the way that we are tempted. Then it says he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. The question is, are we calling on him? Are we giving him an opportunity to help us? Are we choosing offense or are we choosing to step over the offense? Now, let me tell you something about Jesus. And in this, we're going to see the causes of offense. Maybe not all of the causes, but we're going to see, I believe, the five primary causes of offense. And then I'm going to end talking to you about how to be cured from that, healed from that. But on what we call Good Friday, the night before Good Friday, on that Thursday, Jesus has his last supper that we're going to be remembering here in just a moment when we take communion. But Jesus has his last supper with his disciples. They leave the upper room. They go down through the Kidron Valley. They go up the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while they are there at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, over the next 12 hours, from the time that they would arrest him at the Garden of Gethsemane until the time that they would put him on the cross, over those next 12 hours, Jesus would experience five things that I think will probably remind us of how we have been treated and give us reason, if we're not careful, to be offended. First thing that Jesus faced was betrayal. Because you remember the one that gave him up The one that told those who were going to arrest and crucify him, the one that told them where Jesus was, where they could find him, was one of Jesus' very own disciples. A guy by the name of Judas who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now let me ask you something this morning. How many of you have ever been betrayed by somebody that you loved? And somebody that you thought loved you? So somebody that, that you looked up to, somebody maybe that you had, even, you had even done ministry with or that you had served with. And so when Jesus begins this horrible 12 hours, he begins it with betrayal, Judas when the soldiers would come to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest him, it would be Judas that was at the front of the line. And Jesus was standing there with a few of his other disciples. And these soldiers didn't know which one was Jesus. But Judas pointed at him out and said, that's him right there. That's, that's Jesus. That's who you're looking for. Betrayal. But not only did Jesus encounter betrayal, but Jesus also encountered false accusation. Because over those 12 hours, he would face three different trials. And all three of those trials were illegal. It was illegal to try anyone at night. And all three of Jesus' trials were at night. And of course, they did that because they wanted to do it in secret. And they were bringing people in 
that were falsely accusing Jesus. Some of them that were brought in were being paid to falsely accuse him, and others were paying to falsely accuse him. Let me tell you something. If there's one that really gets under my skin out of these five that I'm going to talk to you about right now, and if there's one that I have a really hard time with, and if I'm not careful, I I can harbor some unforgiveness in my own heart, it's false accusation. I mean, it's hard enough to be accused for something you actually did, right? But it's really tough to be accused, especially by somebody that you love. Especially by somebody that you thought would never do something like that to you, falsely accusing you. And I tell you what's bad. What's bad is when other people listen to folks who are falsely accusing you, and it's a lie, but they base their opinion on you based on the false evidence and accusations that they got. I I don't get that. But notice, Jesus was betrayed, Jesus was falsely. Accused. Anybody know what it's like to be falsely accused? Have things say about you that are absolutely not true and then got other people believing the same thing about you. Falsely accused. But here's the third thing that happened to Jesus. He was rejected. I mean, you would think. I mean, when when you see him in those trials and all of these people falsely accusing him, you would think that, that at least the other 11 disciples would be there to speak up for him. To defend him, I mean, at the very least, you would think Peter, James, and John, those three that were closest to Christ, would at least be there to defend Jesus. But no, not a single one of the 11. So don't give Judas a bad rap. Even though he betrayed Jesus, none of the other disciples would step up and defend him. And and how many of you know what it's like to feel that kind of rejection? He was betrayed, he was falsely accused, he was rejected. And some of you sitting in this room here today, you know what it feels like to be rejected. Some of you are feeling rejected right now. Some of you young people in this room right here today, you're feeling rejected. Let me tell you something I'm sick and tired of. I'm sick and tired of people going on social media and saying false, mean things about others on social media that they would never have the guts to do face-to-face. Listen, if you do that, you're a coward. And, And what breaks my heart is that there are so many young people who are forming opinions about themselves based upon what others are saying about them on social media and even making horrible, terrible choices, some even taking their very own lives because they're listening to what others are saying about them on social media. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to get into the presence of God with the people of God and you need to hear what God has to say about you. Amen. Because God has not rejected you. God has not rejected anyone. God accepts all of us. Even as we are, he was betrayed. He was falsely accused. He was rejected. But let me tell you something else that Jesus was. He was abused. Some of you know here in this room today, you know what it's like to be abused. Jesus was abused physically. Jesus was abused verbally. Jesus was abused mentally. None of us could ever comprehend the kind of abuse that Jesus endured from the time that they arrested him, beating him across the face, prophesied to us 
They blindfold him and they hit him across the face and say, prophesy to us. Tell us who it was that hit you. They'd spit in his face. They scourged him till his flesh hung like ribbons and you could literally see his intestines. He was beaten so severely. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They shoved a spear in his side. On and on I could go and they mocked him and they ridiculed him. The Bible says about him that he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So don't tell me that if you've gone through abuse in your life, physical abuse, verbal abuse, mental abuse, that God doesn't understand. Don't tell me that Jesus doesn't understand. He came here to this earth as one of us, and he endured suffering unlike any of us have ever endured suffering. So he understands. He knows. He knows what you're feeling if you've been abused. And then finally, in that 12-hour period, he was totally humiliated. And this is something that Hollywood doesn't depict, and thank God they don't. But on the cross, the victims would be stripped naked, and they would be hung in complete humiliation publicly before everyone. And how many of you know how public humiliation can hurt and offend? I mean, it, it's bad enough in private, but public. I was, I was at Walmart the other day, and my heart broke because I saw this little kid, maybe four or five years old, just being a kid. And all of a sudden, the mom just tears into that kid, just screaming at that kid, yelling at that kid. And I saw that little kid's head go down, and its eyes come up. It was looking around because he wanted to see who it was that was looking at him being so humiliated. Don't think it doesn't affect your children. Public humiliation. And Jesus faced that. I'm, I'm trying to tell you that, 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 that every reason and right that somebody could have had to have been offended within a 12-hour period. For some of you, it's, it's, it's maybe through your lifetime, but Jesus in a 12-hour period, he experienced betrayal. He experienced false accusation, re rejection, abuse, and humiliation. But now listen to me. I wouldn't be a good pastor to you today if I just talked to you about the problem of offense and I talked to you about what causes it and I didn't and tell you how you can get past it. And in these next few minutes, just stay with me while I talk to you about how you can get past offense. We'll call it the cures for offense. Notice what Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. He said, since Christ suffered while he was in his body, strengthen yourselves with the same way of thinking that Christ had. Now, why is that important? Because when I share these few things that you've got to do to move past offense today, everything in you is going to say, I can't do that. Pastor, don't even ask me to do that. And listen, I'm not the one asking you to do it. Everything I'm going to share with you comes from the mouth of Jesus this morning. And so you can't wait until you feel like it to do what we're about to do. But what you've got to do is you've got to, first of all, think the way that Christ thought. Well, how did Christ think? What did Jesus say that you and I needed to do? And what did he do to make sure that offense was not something that caused him to stumble? First of all, notice what he says in Luke 6, 27 and 28. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And forgive 
and you will be forgiven. Five things. Number one, and we're going to do this quickly. But please, please receive. This is so important. Number one, you've got to love them. You'll not be able to do any of the rest if you don't love them. Because, see, if you love somebody who's offended you, you're not going to go out and make public everything that happened. But you're going to sit down privately with them. And you're going to do your very best to protect as many people as you possibly can from that offense. Because it's not just about loving the person that you are in offense with. It's about loving others that can be affected by how you handle that offense. So you've got to love them. But not only love them. Secondly, you have got to do good to them. Oh, pastor, you're asking a lot. No, I'm not. Jesus is. Do good to them. Listen to what the Bible says, Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Because that's what our human nature wants to do, isn't it? They, they did wrong to me. I'm going to do wrong to them. And I'm not going to do wrong to them. I'm going to, I'm going to hurt them worse than they hurt me. No, he says, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And we're going to find out in a moment that it's not always possible to reconcile. But you can do everything you can to make it happen. And then he goes on and says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. That's what we need to learn how to do. Leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God to intervene in that situation. For it is written, it is mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You being a child of God, if someone intentionally offends you, God says, don't worry about it. I got your back. I'll take care of you. Just give me an opportunity. And then notice what verse 20 says. On the contrary, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Oh, I like that last sentence. It doesn't mean what you think it means. Because some of you are thinking, well, if I do good to them, then bad going to happen to them. No, that's not what this passage means. Because coals were a rare necessity in this culture. Our culture can't really relate to this. This was a time when they didn't have any stoves. And so when they would cook, they would depend on coals. And unlike us, they didn't have lighters and matches and all of those kind of things to, if their fire went out, to relight it. And so they had to make sure that the coals, that they never burned out. And if they did burn out, they didn't have any way of relighting it. And so they would depend on their neighbor to give them some of their hot coals so that they could relight their fire in order that they could cook and prepare a meal for their family. And so what Paul is saying here is this. He's saying that you give to them something that they need the most that they don't have. That's what he's saying He's not saying, burn, baby, burn. <laughs> no. He's saying, bless, baby, bless. And that's the next thing. He says this. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
And then, and then notice the third thing that he says, bless them. Bless them. I just want to stop right here. How many of you have heard of Joyce Meyer? And Tanya, you can go ahead and begin to help me close here. How many of you have heard of Joyce Meyer, one of the, one, a great Bible teacher here in our nation? It wasn't that long ago that, well, it's been probably several years ago that she was teaching at a conference at Hillsong Church in Australia. And as she began teaching, she said, I'm going to share a story tonight that I've never shared before. And at the end of that service, she shared that over a period of her life when she was at home, that her father, listen to me, her father raped her. And she, she gave the exact number because she said, I remember every single time that he came into my room and raped me. And it was over 200 times that her father sexually molested and raped her. Now, she then gets notoriety as Joyce Meyer. And God begins to deal with her about this doing good and blessing thing. And so she blesses her mom and dad. She reconnects with them because she had been estranged from them. She reconnects with them and she pays off every single one of their debts. And then she says, the Lord told me to build your house next to my house. And she built them a brand new house, furnished them with vehicles. And through this whole period of time, her father never, never admitted what he had done, never asked for forgiveness, still was an unbeliever. But she just continued to do good. She just continued to bless her parents. And it wasn't long before he passed away that he came to her one day sobbing and saying, honey, I am so sorry for everything that I've ever done to you. And she said, I had an opportunity in that moment to lead my father to Jesus. And she said, I baptized him. And a few days later, he passed away. And she said, and I'm so thankful that he went to heaven and not to hell. I know that that is so far beyond anything that you and I could ever think we could ever do. But I'm going to show you here in just a moment where, where you, can, you can respond the same way. And do you know what jo Joyce Meyer said that surprised me more than anything that she said that day? She said, I'm not sorry anymore that it happened to me. Because she said, now I know what my precious Jesus went through for me. And that when I go through it, that he can give me the strength that I need to finish this race, to not quit, to not throw in the towel, to not give up, do good. Then he says, bless them. He said it this way, bless those who persecute, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. That word bless means to speak well of somebody. I know if somebody has offended you and hurt you that that's the hardest thing in the world maybe for you to do is to speak well about them. But the scripture tells us we are to speak well of them and not to curse them. And listen to me. I made a decision a long time ago because I at one time was trapped in offense. I at one time was trapped in hurt. But I had to make up my mind that I was gonna do what Jesus did and trust the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ to get me through that.
And I decided then that I don't care what anybody does to me from this day forward. I will not speak evil of them. I will bless them and not curse them. And if good things happen to them and they don't happen to me, I'm going to rejoice with those who rejoice. And then if they don't get the promotion they wanted or if they don't have the baby that they've been praying for and they're mourning, I'm going to mourn with those who mourn. Bless them. Bless them. You can do it. Bless them. And then he says, pray for them. You said, oh, I have, Pastor. I've prayed that the, I've prayed that a thousand flies of camels will invade their armpits. I've prayed for them. Hey, you know Psalm chapter 3, verse 7 is a prayer that David prayed. And you know what he prayed? He said, Lord, break the jaw of my enemies and crush the teeth of the wicked. That's not the kind of prayer we're talking about. Pray for them. First of all, you pray that if they're lost, that they'll be saved. You pray that if they're ensnared, that they'll be set free. You pray good things over their life. You pray for them. Because you need to remember that all of us in this room here today have offended Christ many times, but he ever lives to intercede and to pray for us. He never stops praying for us. And then here's, here, here's the last thing, but it's not the hardest. It's, it's not the easiest. It's the, it's the hardest thing that you'll have to do. You've got to forgive them. You've got to forgive them. It blows my mind that after that 12-hour period that Jesus went through, when they finally got him to Calvary and they put him on that cross and that they hoisted that cross up and with a thug it went into the ground, that, that, that almost the moment that that cross was put in its place, the first thing that came out of Jesus' mouth was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, not only did he pray that, it was the first thing he prayed. Let me tell you something. When offense presents itself to you, the first thing that you need to pray is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Now, I, I just feel like I need to take these few moments right here at the close before we take communion. Because there's a lot of misunderstanding about forgiveness and what forgiveness is and what it is not. And thank you for being patient with me, but you gotta see this. Forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. It's not God coming to you saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's good. No, it's not okay. No, what was it? It's not okay. Well, it didn't hurt. But it, yes, it did hurt. It, it, it did hurt. It's not, it's not a big deal. Yes, yes, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. You don't minimize the seriousness of the offense. The second thing that forgiveness is not, it is not reconciliation. Reconciliation is a two-player game. That's why the Bible says, do your very best to live at peace with everybody. This should be the ultimate goal is reconciliation where both parties can come together and forgive one another and bygones be bygones. You forgive and you forget. But let me tell you something. If you're waiting for reconciliation, thinking that that's the completeness of forgiveness, then what's going to happen is you're going to remain in bondage to that person who offended you for the rest of your life or until they decide to reconcile. 
Whereas reconciliation is a two-person team, forgiveness is a one-person team. I don't need you to forgive me for me to forgive you. Do you hear me? I don't need. As a matter of fact, if I have offended you and I don't know that I've offended you, you don't even have to come to me and tell me that I've offended you. Just forgive me. Because I've had people come up to me before and say, Pastor, I, I, I just wanted you to know that you offended me. You are a jerk. You're, you're a real jerk. And I just want you to know that you've offended me and, and I forgive you. And I'm like, well, great. Don't we both feel better now? No, it's not reconciliation. You can forgive whether the other person forgives or not. And then it's not about doing what's fair. Pastor, this just ain't fair. You don't know what they did. Listen, you don't want to get into fair. Do you hear me? It wasn't fair that Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins and for my sins. You don't want to get into fair. The wages of sin is death. You don't want to get into what's fair because if we got what was fair, we'd all be dead right now. Okay? So it's not about doing what's fair. And then here's the last thing. It's not impossible. Because some of you think it's so, it's impossible. I could never forgive them for what they've done to me. It's not impossible. You remember what the apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, 13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I will tell you this. It is impossible apart from Christ. But once you are connected to Christ, he will give you the strength and he will give you the power that you need to do the impossible. Forgiveness is not impossible. You can do it. And that's why Jesus said when he was teaching us to pray, and this is a prayer that he taught us to pray every day of our lives. This is something we have to pray every day. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That word as is the most important word in that sentence. Because you know what it means? It means in the same manner or in the same way. How many of you have prayed this before right here? Come on, let me see your hand. How many of you have prayed this? Lord, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. How many of you have prayed that? Do you know what you're saying? You're saying, Lord, forgive me in the same way that I forgive others. That's what you're saying. Got you, didn't I? Lord, forgive me in the same way that I forgive others. And that's why he goes on and says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. So instead of praying, Lord, forgive me in the same way that I forgive others, pray, Lord, help me forgive others in the same way that you have forgiven me. Help me, God, to forgive others in the same way that you have forgiven me. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God. Being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself so why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally 
meeting you.